What's up, ladies and gentlemen? How you doing? Hope you're having a fantastic day so far. Hope you had a fantastic, relaxing weekend. Thanks so much for tuning into the 68th episode of the How to Become a Pro Footballer podcast. If you don't know by now, I'm your host, Eric Friedlander. Some people call me Rick Fit. Some people call me Big Rick. You can choose to call me whatever you want, but I want to say I appreciate you tuning in for the 68th episode. You guys and girls are going to enjoy this one. I got my good friend Noah Abrams on. He's a 23-year-old goalkeeper currently playing in the Tel Aviv area in Israel. He just signed his first professional contract. And yeah, this is a great episode. You guys are going to enjoy it. You're going to learn a lot. He grew up in England, had a trial with Arsenal, played a little bit with Tottenham, did one year in prep school, three years in college before making the jump out to Israel. I'm going to stop telling you the details. Enjoy. What's up, bro? Can you hear me? Yeah, bro. How are you? You ready? I'm good, bro. I feel honored to be on this. Wow. A little nervous. I'm more nervous Good on man, this than I am. I've been more, more nervous preparing for this than uh, than the last couple of training sessions or signing my contract. Just gotta make sure this is. Happy birthday, right my guy! Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. I have this freaking uh, this cake sitting in the living room, and it's torturing me. I keep walking by it. I gotta throw it out. So, how, how old are you now? 23, bro. I'm getting old. 23. Yeah. All right, bro. So if you could just introduce yourself to everyone here, um, you know, your name, how old you are, where you're from, where you're currently playing, your position, just a little bit of a background on yourself. Uh, maybe if you yeah, stop dropping sure. your phone, that'd be all right. And then, yeah. yeah, I'm on my iPad. I got to make sure this doesn't keep going. I'll hold it for now. But uh, let me find a, let me, this is a good spot. I thought I wouldn't fall from here. You have, you have a phone roller? That's what I do. I'm a, a foam roller? No, I think yeah, this is good. I got it. I got it now. I'm uh, on my iPad. My my front facing camera's broken. But uh, yeah, I just turned my name's Noah Abrams. Uh, I just turned twenty three yesterday. So I'm getting freaking old. Um I just signed a professional contract in uh in Tel Aviv for Beitar Tel Aviv. Um and yeah, I'm a goalkeeper and uh excited to talk with you, Rick. Love it, bro. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, you know, we, we've known each other, I mean, not for so long, but we've, we've gotten pretty close uh, sure. already. I think the Holy, the Holy Land does that for you. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, if you could just, it, it'll be interesting for me to find out more about you. I know a little bit about your background and, and, and everything, but just the detail will be interesting. So if you could just give us a background of where you played youth, uh, where you grew up, uh, I know you were in between, you know, London and, and New York, and you had some interesting trials, interesting uh, journeys. So, yeah, yeah you could just sure. give us a little bit of a background um, of where you've been until now would be would be great. For sure, yeah. So I was uh, I was born in the suburbs of New York. I was, uh, grew up in Westchester, uh, and when I was five, my family, my dad got offered a job in uh, in London. So uh, my whole family and I moved to London, and it was supposed to be for a year. Uh, and I ended up living there until I was 17. So obviously, moving from New York to London, you kind of get a bit of a 
a culture shock in terms of even when you're a young age because you're playing basketball, you're playing baseball, football, and then you move to London. It's, it's all it's all soccer, it's all football. Uh, so yeah, my childhood was in London. Um, just grew up uh, playing at recess with my friends, um, and I was never the most technically gifted kid in any sport or the most athletic, but I was definitely the most fearless one and loved to get freaking dirty, loved to get balls kicked at me, loved to dive around. Um, so that's how I just became a goalie, just from uh, just from messing around on the playground. Um, but yeah, I started, started playing goalie then, started playing in Sunday League, as they call it, in, in England. Um, and when I was 11, actually, uh, a scout from Arsenal uh, came to watch me. Um, and I think that's when I got started to get serious was um, we called my club coach, we called my father and said that uh, they were interested in me coming to, uh, to train with their academy. So honestly, from the age of 11, I think it was 10 or 11 is kind of where my uh, where my soccer football journey started. And I think from even that young of an age, from 11 onwards, it was it was about trying to get a professional contract because I was I was in that environment from such a young age. Um, and, you know, I went to the Arsenal training ground and you see these, these photos of all these academy guys that are playing professionally now. And so from that age onwards, honestly, pretty much every single day of my life has been, has been thinking about, thinking about the journey and thinking about becoming a professional footballer. So, uh, it's been pretty, pretty crazy, but yeah, bounced around a bunch of academies when I was there. I'll talk through that with you. And then, uh, and then eventually moved back to the States to play in college and then just, um, just signed my first professional contract in Israel a couple, couple days ago. Love that. Love that. So let's, yeah. let's dive into some more detail on that journey. What, what was the difference? Uh, like you said, you know, moving from the U S uh, to London and like, you know, at, at those times football wasn't as big in the U S what was kind of the, like you said, the transition, um, moving over there like obviously football in europe is viewed as a religion and there are many more sports played in the u.s what was that transition like yeah i would say the biggest thing was obviously um you know i was playing recreational sports in the u.s and in london as well and then i uh i get to the my first academy experience and my parents are there and my parents are talking to the other parents and and they're saying basically these these kids are like these parents' golden tickets. You know, from such a young age, these parents are investing a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of emotions into these kids to uh, for the chance to become a professional footballer. And I think that was the biggest thing. You know, my mom and my dad had knew, no idea what an academy was. I don't. Think, I think they barely probably knew what Arsenal was at the time. Um, and you have, on the sidelines, these parents are basically saying to my parents, like, yeah, like uh, my son is the only chance of us having like a, a great living in the future. So I think that was kind of the biggest culture shock for me, even at the, that young of an age. Um, and my parents was that it's just, it's in your blood, especially in Europe. And, you know, for most of these kids, when they're born, it's already just built in their DNA, whether their parents were uh, professional footballers or they tried or their grandparents. Uh, so I think that was the, uh, that was the biggest thing for me, just from a young age, just, just seeing it, like how it just meant everything to all these kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you said, you know, you started to get serious at 10 or 11. Did you 
only played football, only played soccer from that age, or were you still playing other sports? Yeah, I was still playing other sports on the side. Like, obviously, football was, even at that age, was, was the biggest thing. But obviously, my parents are American. I went to an international school where they were all American. So I was still playing baseball, basketball, uh, tennis with my friends. But honestly, like, I'm sure my friends will attest to it. I was never the best athlete at all. Like, my brother is uh, was a much better athlete than me. My sister was a much better athlete than me. Most of my friends were, but I always had that drive and like, I just love to just like get stuck in as people say, and just like have a good time. Um, so yeah, I'm still playing other sports, but I would say about uh, 13, 13, 14 is when I really just started to only focus on football. Love it. And when did you, when did you, you said you've always, you always liked being, uh, getting ball shot at you, getting dirty yeah. and um, things like that. And, and, and when did you fully say I'm a goalkeeper? You know, were you playing on the yeah. field? I was playing on the field. I was, wasn't very good. Um, but I was honestly right from the beginning. Like, when when I was four or five, I was, like, playing catcher. When I was when I moved to London, I was just a goalkeeper right away just because I wasn't the best player, and I was, wasn't afraid to dive on concrete and just get balls railed in my face and everything. So from <laughs> such a young age, like, I loved it, and I was committed to it. It wasn't like one day I woke up, and oh, I want to be a goalkeeper. That's how most kids are. Like, some days they do it, some days they don't. From a young age, it was just it was only it was only being a goalkeeper. Love that, love that. So how was how was the experience the uh, the trial at Arsenal when you were, when you were that young age? Yeah, I remember I was ten or eleven, and I, my dad told me about it. When my coaches told me about it, they're like, "Yeah, it could be a couple of weeks for trying to organize it." And I remember they called me at like nine forty-five, and they're like, "Yeah, it's tomorrow morning." And I remember even at eleven years old being so nervous, and I like ran upstairs, turned off the lights, and just like went right to sleep. Yeah. I knew I was like, oh, I need a big rest. Yeah. Um, it was an unreal experience. I mean, there's players there that I was so young that I don't remember their names, but like I know that you know they're they're some some big players in in the world now. So it was a, it was an unreal experience going to that academy, um, and just like I said, seeing photos on the walls of these guys that have gone to the academy, um, and it was amazing. And that was honestly the first step in the first like check mark in me in saying like it's it's time to like put all my eggs into one basket and just like do everything I can to become a footballer. Um, I think in the U S especially it's usually that doesn't happen until you're 17, 18, 19 when you're in and around high school going into college. And I remember for me, it was at 11. Uh, so even though I, I speak like an American and I'm American, like I have that, that English mentality for sure. I was, I've been chasing it uh, since I'm 11 years old. So it's uh, cool to finally see it happen. Yeah. Very interesting. So what's like the, from a, from a mentality standpoint, what's the difference between um, – since you, you've seen, you know, American players chase the dream of becoming a pro, and we'll get into that later. What's the difference of, a, of an English player chasing that and an American player? Obviously, the age difference was, was a bit different, but like you said, with, um, you know, this mentality of, like, football is in the blood, uh, what's very interesting that a lot of people don't see, like – football is a business man so these these parents are like you said are investing their time their money uh into their sons and daughters and into becoming a pro um what uh what was the difference in mentality from the from the standpoint of, of the kid yeah i mean it's a good question i think i think the biggest thing is is just like i said before it's just 
it's just in your DNA. Um, and I think in the States, you have so many other things going on. Um, and also the, the biggest thing that I think needs to be addressed first is like in, in America, you have the A team, you have the B team, you have the C team, you have a, a lot of participation trophies and that's a whole other topic. Love that. But oh, in, in England, it's, yeah, in England, it's you're either on the, on the team or you're not like, there's no like Arsenal A, Arsenal B, Arsenal C, there's none of that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and, and you have every single week and every single month, players are getting caught boom, this and that. It's a business, like you said. Like, I, I didn't pay a cent to play football. I paid more money in one year of college than I did in 15 years in England. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. You know, in America, there's, there's politics and, and youth sports, which is just crazy to think about. Paying five, $6,000 a year. In England, it's you're either on the team or you're not on the team. Arsenal, from the top down, you as a can uh, potentially, they can potentially make money off of it. And that's just the way football is. It's a business. And I think that's what people in America just sometimes don't understand with, with college and youth sports. Um, and it took me a long time, time to understand that as well. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think that football in Europe, it's a business. Where football in America, it's, it's uh, a lot of participation trophies. But I think it's, it's moving in the right direction definitely in the last couple of years. Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. I mean, um like you said there man like you know america there's always first second third fourth fifth place or whatever um and uh you know sometimes you need to face an obstacle you need to face that failure of being cut being uh not being accepted into something or somewhere uh because maybe you know that weeds out the guys that are going to keep going embrace that failure use that to their ability and embrace that dark side to push them forward and keep motivating them to work harder. Um, but like you said, in, in the U.S., you know, there could be too much babying involved. But, you know, that's a different topic, like you said. But it's, it's very interesting for you, for you to point that out. Um, what is – what's the, the – you know, let's get into this a little bit. So where would you play your youth football? Yeah, so that's a good question. I bounced around a lot in England. Uh, and what kind of, you sent me the questions before, I was kind of thinking in my mind. Um, I was always at the elite level in terms of I was, I was always on the brink. I was on the brink of Arsenal. People think I'm crazy and think I'm lying when I say this. I, w- I was at Arsenal's academy, Tottenham's academy, and Chelsea's academy. And I went through all three of them, and I never got tired of any of them. I was always on the brink. They were always like, you're almost there. Keep training, keep working hard. And then got released, got released. Let me ask you this um, question before we go further. For sure. Is there anything that is there anything that you think you could have done uh, differently or better to be to push through and instead of being on the brink, um, that would have got you there and got you signed? No, I think I think even at a young age, ten, eleven, I was doing everything I could. Really, I think the only thing that I would have done differently, and my dad always said it, is I was training at these elite levels, and I I, I played with Tammy Abraham. I played with Harry Winks. I was training with these guys that, that they probably don't, they probably know me as that weird American keeper that would just come to training. Um, but I was thinking the only thing that I didn't do well was I wasn't playing enough games on the side. I was never officially under contract at any of these clubs. Um, and my dad was always like, no, we got to get you playing games, even if it's for a local Sunday team. Mm. And I think, and I was like, and it was a bit of an ego thing for me. I was like, fuck that. Like, sorry to swear. I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, yeah. I'm playing with these guys that are, have Nike boot deals and signed five-year contracts already. I'm not going to play for a local Sunday team. I was like, no way. And I think in my game now, that's the biggest, 
the biggest uh, aspect of something that I learned on definitely is I needed to play games. I need to just accept that I need to play games because you watch me in a training session and I'm just as good as, as some of the best, I think some of the best keepers around in my age. Um, but <laughs> you put me in a game and I look like a different guy just because at a young age, I wasn't playing enough games. Um, so I wish I listened to my father's advice there and just, and just played more and just let it and let it hit my ego and just play more. I think that's the biggest thing. That's a great point. You know, I, I heard something the other day, just like you said there. I mean, you, you, you were um, completely straight up and honest there because, like you said, like, the biggest thing right there is, like, I heard something the other day where some, uh, I think it was a coach or an agent talking about how the most important thing when you're a youth player at a young age is uh, getting games in, getting games in. Not, where, mm -hmm. not the name of the club, not where you're yeah. playing, not uh, – Chelsea Academy, Arsenal Academy, just getting games in, getting game time in, and, and that's huge, man. And like you said, like, you can be at a fantastic club, uh, but if you're on the bench and you're not getting time, it really does you no good for your development. Um, so, yeah, maybe you are training with the best guys. So that's the thing that I've kind of changed my thinking on. Uh, sometimes it's better to be, a, like, at a young age and a youth. Uh, when you're a youth, you're developing. It's better to be a sometimes a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think I had that training experience at such a young age, but I wasn't playing enough games. Uh -huh. I, honestly, I don't even think I played 50 games in my in my youth days. Like 50, 60 games, not even. I mean, people play that in a year. And, the, and then the way the academy works now in England. Um, yeah, I just wasn't playing enough games. I would have my academy training sessions uh, one of my mentors and kind of coaches back in England, a guy named John Akuma. I would do double days with him, working on all the things I needed to work on. But at the end of the day, when I would go in for these trials with some of these teams, and they used to put me in the game, they were like, he looks like a different kid when he's training or when he's in the game. Mm -hmm. Whether it was, it was nerves or a combination of everything, it's just games, you can't simulate a game without playing a game. And I think at a young age, you know, mm -hmm. 18, 19, you need to be playing as many games as possible. So I, I wouldn't have changed the amount of times I went to these trainings and and went up and down the country with my dad, trains, buses for 45-minute practices or something like that. I wouldn't change any of that. I just wish I woke up on a Sunday morning to go for some Joe Schmo Sunday League team. I wish I did that more often because uh, I think that would have – I don't think it would have been a complete game changer, but I think it would have definitely helped my development a lot. For sure, for sure. Um, great point there, and, and... – you touched on it, but it's something I get often, a question I get often about, you know, yeah, you know, I, um, you know, Rick, I'm, I'm, I look fantastic in training, you know, I'm doing very well with my team, but once I get in the game, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm a different player. What do, what do you think that is? Like, what do you think that difference is from individual and team training to when you're finally going into a, a match? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's one of the most difficult questions. I think it's a combination of so many things, but I think you just can't overthink it. I was actually, I was actually speaking to one of my old friends that I was uh, training with at Tottenham. He's a third choice at, uh, at Tottenham now. His name's Alfie Whiteman. He made it his first Europa League appearance this year. We're having the conversation, and I, I can only relate to goalies most of the time. So a few players are a little bit hard for me to relate to, but for goalies, is you just can't overthink it. You just have to let your instincts take over. Because the second you the second you start thinking, oh, do I come for this cross or not? It's almost game over from then. 
Like you just have to let your instincts take over. We were talking about some of these MLS keepers and how they look when you watch them train. They look like like college keepers. They don't look like pros. But yeah. then you watch these Matt Turner, for example. I think it's a great example. Probably not the most technical goalie plays for the during the Revolution. But in games, the guy doesn't think twice about anything. He just makes saves and doesn't overcomplicate it. And I think you can relate it to a field player. You can relate it to a goalie. I think that's the easiest yeah. way. The second you start overanalyzing yourself, overanalyzing the game, and I do it. It's one of my biggest my one of my biggest downfalls is that's when it becomes a lot. You make it harder for yourself. I think the biggest thing is it's just don't overthink it. Let your instincts take over. And most of the time, you'll play better when you're just chilled. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's that's great. Great. That's a great thought and great advice. It's exactly what I say. Like, first of all, like you said there, um, the reason that we train, the reason that we put in the extra reps, the reason that we train individually, we do the extra things um, is – for for it to get within our mind and then when we get on the field the the ability to like you said to be chill and rely on our instincts um is huge um and and like we had spoken about before like if you put the work in off the field and you know you're ready that should make you more confident when you get on the field that's the first thing and then the second thing I, i i think it's huge is like man like anytime you second guess yourself whether you're on the pitch or man in life like if you have a goal, like, all right, um, my goal is, is to sign a professional contract and, and, and that's your goal and you're, you're going there and, you, and you're constantly second guessing. Obviously, you're going to have haters, people who don't believe in you, people who say you're not going to get there. But if you start second guessing in your own mind and you don't believe in your own self, you're going to kind of sh- shift a little bit instead of being on the path. And obviously, it's not a straight, straight arrow to sign a contract but i think if you constantly believe in yourself um and you have that that mentality of once i make a, a decision i'm all in uh and that's what i you know I, I try to be all about like once you make a decision boom you commit go all in 110 percent. if you hit you know when you hit roadblocks all you got to do is reroute you know so uh, i think it's the same thing in football once you make a decision whether you're a field player making a pass or a dribble, some kind of action or a goalkeeper, you guys have the most pressure. Uh, once you make that decision, you got to go all in. Yeah. I think you said a lot of great things. I think the, the most important thing that you said there, and you said it to me once we've only been, we, you know, we've been working together for about two months now, a month and a half. And I think the best thing that you've said to me so far is when you know, you've ticked all the boxes and you've done everything under the sun, when you step on the field, that's the most like that's real confidence. Confidence isn't the way your boots look, the way your haircut is, how many goals you scored yesterday in training. Real confidence is knowing like, holy shit, like I've eaten like an absolute machine for the past week. I've done everything, and we'll get to this, I'm sure. Like everything in terms of recovery, I have a great strength base. My body composition is great. The second you step on the field, it's like you just you just feel good in the jersey. Like you just you just you just flying. Exactly. And I think that's the I think that's the most important thing when it comes to confidence. Um, you know, I'm sure no matter what, when Ronaldo steps on the field, that guy isn't second guessing anything because he knows he's done everything, mm-hmm. everything. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the biggest thing um, no. is not overthinking it. And then just like we'll get to this in terms of preparation stuff is when you've done everything, everything like when you've done everything off the field. When you get on the field, nine times out of ten, it's just going to be. It's just going to be that much easier. 
Absolutely, 100%. Completely agree with everything you said, except, uh, you know, having that's... a fresh cut gives you confidence. Okay, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's important, but it's, the other, all the other stuff's the most important. But yeah, no, I've been getting... Not. I've been getting, I've been beating you. I've been getting a haircut every seven days, not every 10 days, because I changed Love my hair. Love so, uh, Where yeah, you going? Uh, I bounce around. I'll go, right now Israel's in lockdown, so I shouldn't even be saying I'm getting a haircut. But uh, right, I go. go sneer mirror. You got to go to sneer mirror. I go wherever, I go wherever is going to get me in. Because like, usually I decide that hour. I'm like, I'm going to get a haircut. Yeah. So I'll text four or five barbers, or I'll go to four or five barbers, whichever one will take me. Will take me. Because for me, I don't care. If the skin fades, it's, it's, yeah. it's quick. It doesn't matter. Yeah, love it, bro. Um, yeah, so like you said, you moved back to the U.S. when you were 17, right? Yeah, so went to the what academy. What was your journey after that? Yeah, so when I was, uh, I'll kind of um, rewind one step. When I was uh, 16, um, I was finishing up my time at Tottenham. I was at Tottenham for two years. I played it in a decent amount of games. was never officially under contract. Um, they sent me to a bunch of clubs. I went on trial to QPR. I went on trial to Brentford. St. Mirren, Stevenage, um, and I actually was going through the same injury that you just had your surgery with right now. I was going through a sports hernia. So I was going into these games, couldn't even take a freaking goal kick without feeling like my, uh, my groin was about to rip off. And none of these clubs offered me professional contracts or scholarships, as they call it, which is like kind of your apprenticeship. So I was finishing my, uh, my sophomore year of high school. None of these clubs offered me contracts. I was in the back of my mind. I always knew I wanted to play in college, and I was. It was the biggest roadblock, one of the biggest roadblocks in my life. I had no idea what to do. I was like, I, I, I know I want to go to college. I want to be a professional footballer, but I know most likely I'm going to go to college. My parents aren't going to let me drop out of school to play for some League Two club. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. So basically, the transition was um, through a couple of mutual friends. I got um, connected with some college coaches. I went to American University just to speak with the coaches, and the guys basically told me, "Listen." We can't come and watch you play in England, even though we know you're a good player. We can't commit. We can't give you commitment or any scholarship money without watching you play. You need to come back to the move. You need to move back to the U.S. But we know your family lives in England. How about you go to boarding school? It's a boarding school. That's that's where all the rich, troubled kids go. Um, but he told me about this school called Berkshire School in um, Sheffield, Massachusetts. And he's like, bro, like these guys beat Red Bull. They beat Philly Union. They have the best kids in the country. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? Like, there's no freaking way. I meet, met this guy named John Moody at a park, um, and he told me he was going to introduce me to one of his players. He's like, yeah, we had his players, Gatorade Player of the Year in Massachusetts. I was like, who is, who is this guy talking about? His name's Jack Harrison. He's committed to Wake Forest. I was like, and I, me, I was like, oh, I fucking playing for Arsenal, Tottenham, like, you know, I, I'm England, whatever. This guy, Jack Harrison, who is he? Ends up being the nicest kid ever. I watched this guy play for two minutes. I was like, holy shit, this guy's a stud. Anyways, I took a huge leap of faith. I went to tour the school, loved it. This guy, John Moody, told me that he'll get me to a Division One school. And I was like, all right. Like, I had my surgery. I woke up. I was like, I'm, I'm going to boarding school. Like, it was just like that. I convinced my parents. And, uh, yeah, I went to boarding school and ended up being probably the uh, single-handedly the best decision of my life. Um, moving, away from, moving away from my family uh, at 16, 17 just teaches you a lot. Um, and I was basically getting ready. I wasn't even thinking about playing professional soccer. Yet. I was thinking it was always in the back of my mind, but I was thinking about playing college soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was the biggest thing at the time. Uh, all all these kids on the team were going to top top schools, and yes, yeah, so I went from you know training at Tottenham with some of the best players in in the world to going to Berkshire School, where we had 
one of the best players in England right now, Jack Harrison, playing to a kid that plays squash. He was the he was the second choice striker. So it was a crazy, crazy change of events. But uh, yes, I went to Berkshire School for three years, and um, that's kind of where I played my my high school soccer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love it, bro. And, yeah. Um, so what do you what do you think you learned at at prep school at Berkshire that's kind of prepared you? For where you're at now, like living away from family, living away from for home. Sure. So yeah, so those three years were the best in terms of my personal development, but they were the worst in terms of my football development. Okay. Um, I learned so much about myself and boarding school. I learned how to be a man, how to fend for myself, how to travel up and down the country, how to reach out to college coaches, how to train on my own. Um, so that was amazing, you know. Obviously, you're in boarding school, so there's rules and stuff, but you're living by your own. And, and most people, they're in boarding school. Their family's still close by. My family was 8,000 miles away. Yeah. Um, so I learned so much about myself and how to be a man at such a young age. Sure. But, um, but in terms of football, it was, it was good for the three months, but it was high school soccer. It turned November. I was playing – I was the captain of the third squash team once the season was over. Um, so, uh, that was definitely a big hinder in my development. I didn't have constant coaching, but that's when I think the individual training came in, you know, Berkshire schools in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts it snowed as soon as it hit November. So we would be on the field after, after school or after squash practice or in the morning, shoveling the snow and 10, 15 of us would just be doing technical work or crossbar challenges or we, every single night after dinner, we would. Uh, go play uh, futsal in the uh, basketball courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of that free spirit, like just training whenever. So I definitely like had some benefit from it. But in terms of coaching and like development and goals and things like that, I, de- I definitely locked, uh, lacked a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how my high school development was. It was mm-hmm. it was great for three months, and then after that, it was kind of on your own. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And then after uh, that, through a lot, a lot of that. Good. You're good. And then after that, you uh, where'd you where'd you play college? Yeah. So uh, so basically, we had our fall season at uh, at Berkshire, and then we had this uh, club team kind of come together. It's called Blackrock FC. It's at the time it was just like a not a Joe Schmo club, but it was just um, we basically got the best prep school players in in the East Coast, and we just formulated a team. So that was a really cool experience. We'd just go to tournaments, kind of as guest teams, and we would smack these teams up and down the country. And people were like, who are these guys? And um, there were barely any of Americans. It was mostly guys from the Right to Dream Academy, guys on scholarship from Europe, you know, the guys like Jack Harrison, Justin Donald, all these good players. So, yeah, it's kind of a side note there. But, yes, I ended up going to Northeastern University in Boston, uh, D1 school, not a big time D1 school, not a small time, just right in the middle. Um, again, great experience in terms of being in a city, learning to, you know, be a real man, living by yourself. Um, it's college soccer, so a lot of downfalls in terms of uh, uh, personal development. But, um, yeah, played college soccer for three years, was supposed to go into my senior year this fall. Wanted to hopefully uh, win a conference championship, you know, get some accolades, but obviously Corona happened. But, uh, yeah, so I played uh, college soccer from uh, 18 to 22. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Solid. And, and what made you kind of skip the senior year and, and make the jump to Israel? Take that Yeah, for, for sure, yeah. I was, I was kind of 
thinking to myself, okay, it was a similar kind of personal time that I was in when I decided to move from England to back to boarding school and the same thing here. Um, I was like, all right, I, like the easiest thing to do is go back to school in the fall, train with the team, drink, have fun, enjoy the senior season, and then see what happens in the spring. Uh-huh. But I knew, okay, it's my goal my whole entire life to uh, to play professional football. So sitting sitting like on my ass in the fall of the season, kind of practicing a couple times a week was, I knew, the worst thing for my development. Um, so, yeah, just uh, through a couple of friends, my agent, they were like, listen, like, you want to go to Israel? Like, right now it's a great fit. You're Jewish. Uh, if the league's going on right now, Corona, like, you want to do it? And I was like, of course. Israelis don't follow the rules. Yeah, Israelis don't follow rules. Uh, you can go live in Tel Aviv. I was like, I took a huge leap of faith, but I was like, like, there's literally no downfall. Like, worst case, if it doesn't work out, pop back on a plane and go to my college season. But I, I knew in the back of my mind it was going to work out. I really didn't have, for, for whatever reason, I didn't have any um, any any doubts in my mind. I just knew it was going to work because yeah. um, I felt like all the um, the stars aligned. Um, but, yeah, so through a couple friends, uh, a couple guys that I played with, they were like, listen, Israel's a great option. Um, it's a good stepping stone for your career. Do you want to do it? And I was like, for sure. So it took me a couple weeks to – get all the paperwork together in terms of Corona for the, for them to allow me to get into the country. Um, I got here August 8th. I was in quarantine for two weeks, trained. And then in September, they, uh, they offered me a professional contract. It ended up, it was supposed to be done. Then in September, it took months to get my citizenship. But uh, so, yeah, so I just, uh, I just signed uh, two weeks ago now. Love that, bro. Love yeah. that. And and what what has been the experience so far in Israel, football wise, compared to your other experiences? It's been it couldn't be more different from any of my experiences so far. It's like I'm on what? the complete I'm on the complete opposite side of the world, and it's the complete opposite side of football for sure. Uh-huh. Um, some of the guys on the t- so basically the club little background for everyone. Maccabi Tel Aviv is uh-huh. the is the biggest club in Israel. And I basically signed for their uh, their feeder club, their second division team. I don't know, it's no direct affiliation, but basically all the guys that go through the um, Maccabi Tel Aviv Academy ended up getting, going alone to this club. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so some of these guys are, are so technical, some of the most technical players I played with. But in terms of the phys- yep. physicality, it's literally like it's so much different than playing college soccer, so much different than playing football in England. Uh, you don't have guys getting stuck in as much. You don't have as many long balls, things like that. You have guys ticking, 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 but no guys just really getting stuck in. Um, so that's the biggest thing. And just overall the culture. I would say, like, I, I'm never used to fighting with coaches, fighting with teammates, fighting with equipment managers. But here in Israel, it's just like a normal occurrence. Uh, so I would say on the football side of that, and the same thing goes for personal side, just living in a Middle East country. Um it's definitely got my, my uh, skin a lot thicker. Um, so it's been an unreal experience, you know, to get my first contract under under my belt because I think that's the hardest thing is to get your first one. And then the second hardest thing is to stay there. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a great experience, some amazing football. Um, I've formed some great relationships with some, some of my teammates so far. But, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a crazy experience. For sure. No, I completely agree with you, man. Like, it's it's so funny, like, you know, 
Israel, you know, Israel, I think has been, you know, the players there, from what I've seen, uh, they're the most technical player I've ever seen, you know, even compared to Germany, compared to Sweden. I tell people all this, uh, sure. people this all the time, but, and they don't believe me, but the truth really is like, you know, everyone's playing street ball. They're always yeah. out, they're always playing. But the only thing that really holds them back and the, the major difference between German and Swedish players compared to Israelis is the discipline. That's what I think. Sure. The discipline, the mentality, the mindset, the professionalism around football is completely different. And I think a lot of it has to do with the culture. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and, and you could go really in-depth uh, with that, I mean, you know, comparing, you know, I've talked with a lot of Israeli friends, you see Israel U18s beating Spain, beating Germany, but then when they get to the higher ranks, they fall off. Why is that? A yeah. lot of factors, one of the major factors could be the army. Obviously, when you when you live in Israel, people who don't know, uh, as a male, you have to, when you're a citizen, you have to serve for three years. As a woman, you have to serve for at least two years. And a lot of these, a lot of these footballers, they do get out of it, but they can't put as much time, dedication, and discipline into their football as as some other, you know, big European countries. Yeah, I think uh, everything you said, yeah, that's that's completely spot on. And maybe didn't, I wanted to, I, I tried to hold back a little bit because I thought that maybe some of my teammates would be on, and I know they are. You gotta yeah, tell them the, the truth. Yeah, the biggest thing is that this is discipline, man, um, yeah. and just the overall the overall culture. You know, some of these guys are some of these guys are some of the most technical players that I've seen. But then, you know, they're showing up 20, 30 minutes late to training every single day. And it's not even their fault to some extent because no one's getting on them. Even the coaching staff, no one's getting on them. So it's just built in the DNA here. And obviously the Army is a, is a big factor. You know, at 16, 17 years old, these guys are enlisting in the Army. And most of the time they're in the Army, obviously there's a way to get out of it. But it's obviously mental, mentally and physically exhausting to, to do Army training, you know. Um, so yeah, you know, I know, for example, Maccabi Tel Aviv every year beats, beats Crystal Palace's youth team, but then if England right now would play Israel in a friendly, um, I know what the outcome would be. And I know there's not that many Israeli footballers in European rinks. Um, so the league here is, is the perfect stepping stone for me. I've been very, very impressed with, I've been playing in the second division. So I've been, uh, very, very impressed. But, um, but, yeah, there's definitely a lot of downfalls, but a lot of great things here as well. <laughs> and, and usually I don't answer these responses, these, these things in, in, the, in the comments, but some kid, Commander Lee, I don't know if you know him or not, but he said Israel is a farmer's league, USL is better. <laughs> I don't yeah, think that's, that's, that's true. One of, that's one of my best friends from uh, – he makes <laughs> me laugh. He's my best friend from – I don't think uh, that's true, though. No, it's definitely not true. So, like I said, I'm in the second division. And I think that I think the second division is significantly better than the USL, for sure. I think the pace is, is so much better. The, the the way players are technically is not even it's not even in the same world. However, you watch a USL game and people are getting stuck in and it's physical and people are pressing the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Israel, it just doesn't happen. But yeah, and, I think and, and football brains in Israel are much better than, than for sure. Like, for sure, you know? I think I don't think that uh, a second division team would spank a USL team. Yeah, yeah, I think you watch it's a USL. Match, yeah, I think it's an even match. But you watch a USL game and you watch a, a Liga Lubeck game. I think you'll be more entertained in the second division here, and uh, it will be better football and the players are better here for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with that. Yeah. As we get, uh, as we get, you know, 
closer to the end of the interview, I just want to, you know, touch on your day-to-day -day life, um, how you look at things and your, you know, what you do off the field to, to stay at this level, what you do off the field to get to this level. So if you sure. could just run us through like a typical day-to-day -day life. I already yeah. know this by now, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what time you wake up, um, when you go to training, uh, uh -huh. you know, what you eat before training, uh, everything. Just day-to-day -day until you hit, you hit the sack, um, including the tings you see. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, no, so I wake up, I wake up, my teammates kind of, they say I'm the most professional player, and I think I try to be as professional as possible, because I'm, like I said, because like I said, I don't think I'm, I'm not that good, so I have to, I have to control the uh, controllable. Up, but yeah, so yeah, my day-to-day, it stays the same basically every day. I wake up at, uh, I wake up at six, um, I chug two glasses of water because of Rick Fit, I have my coffee, I give my, my dog that I adopted here in Isaiah, I give him a big hug and kiss, and I bring him to the beach. Uh, I go to the beach for about an hour every morning. Like I said, I'm in Tel Aviv, so it's the best part about living in Tel Aviv, just walk on the beach. Um, come back to, to the apartment around 7.30, 7.45, uh, make a smoothie, um, and then I take my scooter, because I don't have a car and I'm a really bad driver, I take my scooter to training. Uh, so I get to the training ground every single day around eight ish. No, sorry. Every single day around nine. Um, eight forty five nine. Um, I usually put my scooter away, get uh get changed as quick as possible and just do some prehab stuff. Uh I still suffer from a bit of a bad groin. So I'll just do some strengthening, some activation stuff. Um and then depending on the day, if we have a lift, uh we'll lift for an hour before training whether it's just uh, strength-based or agility or, like, uh, power. So I usually do that for 45 minutes. Uh, we'll train uh, for usually an hour, an hour and a half. Usually at about 12.45, we're usually done. Take a quick shower, maybe do some stim or ice or foam rolling afterwards, depending on how hard the session was. Um, I finish a yogurt that I put in the fridge pretty quickly. Um, take my scooter home, uh, make some breakfast, or it's breakfast, but it's, it's my lunch, make, have some eggs, um, chill for a little bit, take my dog for a walk, usually around 1.45, um, and then, yeah, the rest of the day after that, I think people have this perception that, you know, everyone, that footballers are so busy that they have all this time, and training's from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. 1.45, I'm done with my day no matter what. Um, so 145, I'm done with my day. Uh, I walk dogs in Israel to make some extra money and cause I love dogs. Uh, so I'm usually walking dogs. If I'm not walking dogs, I'm just chilling. Um, and then depending on the day, I'll usually do, uh, uh, either a recovery session, whether it's 15 minutes of foam rolling, 15 minutes of stretching. Um, or if obviously I'm, I'm the second or third choice goalkeeper right now, so I'm not playing in any games. Um, so for example, if there was a game the day before, I'll get a, a good strength session in at two, three o'clock. Um, we're going to be starting yeah. doing these double days often now, huh? Yeah, exactly. I've been working with you now, so I'm getting my ass kicked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so usually after one I'm just chilling for the rest of the day. So maybe two, three, four times a week, I'll do another session. And then honestly, five, six o'clock is when my wind down routine usually 
kind of starts. Um, usually by 6.30, I'm finished eating, go for another long walk with my dog, take a shower. 8 o'clock, I'm in bed. Not sleeping, 8 o'clock, I'm usually getting ready for bed every single night. People think I'm a little crazy. But I'm waking up early, and I'm one of those guys that I need a lot of sleep. I know a lot of footballers, and I know a lot of people that don't need a lot of sleep. I know that myself that I can't even come close to being at my best if I don't get eight, nine hours of sleep a night. So I'm in bed, eight o'clock. I usually have some tea, um, take a warm shower, get into bed, go on my phone for a little, even though I probably shouldn't. Um, get those food lockers that, on. When you yeah, I know. I, I, I can't find them in Israel. I have them in Amazon. I'll bring some I, back for you. I, 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 have, I have some in, uh, in New York waiting for me. But um, writing my journal a little bit, and then nine o'clock, I'm sleeping, um, and that's kind of that's my day to day. Eight o'clock, I have breakfast. One thirty, I have lunch. Six thirty, I have dinner. Throw a recovery mobility session in there after training or strength based, and then eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm in bed every single night. Uh, so the days are definitely repetitive and a little boring. It's the same thing every day, but it feels good to just uh, it feels good to just know what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, nothing like a routine for sure. No, having a routine is best. And I think the best thing that I've done so far for football on and off the field is, uh, is my dog. Cause I, when I get home from training, I'm a, I'm an overthinker. So I get home from training. I'm usually thinking about if I had a good training session or a bad training session, I'm thinking about what my coach said to me, what he didn't say to me. I'm overthinking, but as soon as you start to have something else to think about, you feel so much better just in life and in football. Um, it's like having a kid. I hear all these footballers say before they had a children, it was always football, football, football. And as soon as after they have children, they once they get home from football, they focus on something else. So my dog's, been, as silly as it sounds, is my dog's been kind of my saving grace in terms of that because I don't overthink things as much because I don't have time. I bring my dog out a couple times a day. That's two, three hours a day plus feeding him, then I don't have to think about football. Um, so that's kind of a nice thing. Um, and, yeah, that's that's my day basically every single day. We only have usually two or three off days a month. Um, and, honestly, on my off days, I try to keep the same routine for, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, a couple of great points there, and I think the best point is, you know, I, I always ask guys on here, you know, um, how do they like to unwind from football? And you covered it really well there. And just to, to, um, so the youngsters know why I asked that and the purpose. And, uh, like you said, dog, dogs help you, uh, kids help you, girlfriends help you just get your mind off the game. And a lot of yeah. young guys, like with this work hard grind TNDO mentality, 24 seven ticked on, it's not healthy. People no. like it, having the routine you have, is something that I that I try to instill in anyone I speak to, my clients, myself, my family, whoever wants to become a healthy individual, you need to have a routine. It's that simple. Yeah. Like you need to have something that you look forward to each and every day. Um, that's gonna, you know, keep moving you forward. And like you said, like uh, being able to unwind from football and unwind from the grind makes you better. Like For sure, people might yeah. not think that that uh, having a dog actually makes you a better player. Yeah, uh, one of my one of my teammates right now is giving me like shit. Huh? I'm saying one of my teammates right now is giving me shit in the comments, but it's you're 100 percent right. 
Like, I think yeah. you touched on the point there is like today you see Instagrams or, you know, work hard mentality, this and that. You, you'll drive yourself crazy and you will be mentally exhausted. And I did that from honestly 11 till 18, 19. You can't come home from training and think about football all day. You'll just drive yourself nuts. You need something outside football, whether it's a hobby, whether it's learning how to code or learning how to, I don't know, fucking figure skate. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, you just need something to keep your mind off football. Um, and I I pretty much guarantee that you'll, you'll stop thinking about football as much and probably perform better on or off the field. Yeah, exactly. For me, any day, it's all about consistency over rigidity. You got to have some type of structure. You got to have discipline. But you can't be overly strict, you know? Yeah. Um, can't stand these comments. But I, yeah, I, as I, we're getting to the end of the conversation, uh, I said, I wish there was a way that I could turn off these comments because all my friends back home are making me laugh and trying not to look at them. Okay, dude. Go ahead. I, let's end off with two things. So I wanted to ask you, you know, um, if you if you had the knowledge that you had now at any age, um, and you could go back to yourself and mm -hmm. give yourself the advice that you would give to younger players with the knowledge that you have now, what age would you go to and what would you take, uh, say to yourself? Yeah, I was just looking at some notes that I wrote down. Um, I wrote down three things there because I think it's a, it's a really good question. And I think you touched upon it before. I think if you want to become a professional footballer, you even at the age of 11 or 12, you have to act like a professional footballer. Love that. And I think that's the most important thing. If you only want to be a college footballer and you want to be a, you want to be a great Division One soccer player, that's it. Act like a Division One soccer player. Play and then go have fun. Go drink twice a week. It's fun. Just yeah. act like what you want to be. And I think that you you and I have talked about it once or twice. Is like I don't want to be in Israel forever. I would love to be in first division in, in some capacity in Scandinavia or in the states. And I think I, I have to act like I'm a first division player exactly. um, in yeah. every way. So I think. That's number one is such a is the most is a really important thing. Um, another one is in this world with Instagram and social media, I feel so bad for kids, but it's uh, don't care what other people think about you. It's, a hard, it's that's probably the hardest thing is like don't like if you have to move schools, move schools. If you have to transfer, transfer. If you're not if you can't go hang out at a party because you have to train, it's the hardest thing. But just it doesn't matter what people think about you. Just just do whatever you want to do. If you want to be a footballer, just be a footballer and do everything that you can. Obviously, like we talked about, you need to have some flexibility. You can't just be thinking about it all the time. But in general, it's a great rule, rule of thumb. Don't let other people, girlfriends, friends, even families to some extent, don't let them influence what you want in life. I think that's a big one. Um, and the third one is very generic, but it's just keep the dream alive. Like, Do everything. If you want to be a footballer, just do everything you can to just keep making it happen. Whether it's, uh, you, like I said, if you need to move, move. If you need to break up with your girlfriend, break up with your girlfriend. If you want it that bad, yep. just do everything you can to, it's a hard, it's a really hard journey for some people. For some people it's easier than others. Um, for me, it was obviously very, very hard, but just, uh, just do everything you can just to, to keep, to keep the dream, to keep the dream alive. I think that's the, uh, a big thing for me. 100%. 100%. I, and I want to touch on that for a couple minutes uh, before we head off. But for sure, I, just like you said, I think the second point you said is the most important. Create. I think you have to, and this for me is huge, man, because 
you know, like you said, for a lot for a lot of footballers who don't grow up in an academy, uh, who don't have a um, a huge youth career where they were coached by the best coaches, you have to create your own environment. You have to create as professional as an environment as possible to get you to the yeah. next level. Yeah. You have to do every single thing that you can if you really want to be a footballer, like you said, to act like a top pro. I always yeah. use James Milner as an example. James Milner, that guy, you know, every he's, he's 30, 33, 34, always finishes first in the fitness test. You can see that guy can plug in anywhere on the field and perform, you know, very well. He's not performing 10 out of 10. He's performing 7, 8, 9 out of 10, depending on the game. But he's consistent. He's a solid player. And he's, he's disciplined. And, and, you know, my point is just you got to create your own environment to be a disciplined, professional player. And you got to act like a professional on and off the field, no matter what happens, no matter the outside influences. You have to create that environment to take you to the next level. 100%. Yeah, I think that's such a, it's such a good point. Um, I've been blessed and so fortunate in my life that my parents have been so supportive emotionally, financially with everything. So there's been so many times in my life that I didn't have the best coaches so many times in my life that I didn't have the best physios, but, um, I always was making sure I was getting treatment, always making sure that I was getting coached by trying to get coached by the best people. Uh, so obviously not everyone's blessed with that opportunity. Um, but yeah, you have to do everything in your power to, to act like a footballer. If, you're, yeah. if your college season gets canceled or your high school season gets canceled because of corona, don't be going to bed at 2, 3 a.m. and waking up at 4 in the afternoon because it's fine. You're getting enough sleep, but, like, you just have to put your – you have to – Like you just said, you got to – what you talked about, you got to create your own routine and your schedule. Yeah, and you have create. to – even sometimes you have to create an artificial professional environment. Yeah. You have to be doing – with social media now, you know what professional athletes are doing and basketball and football and baseball. You know what these guys are doing on a daily basis. Just try and mimic and mock them as much as you can. Because once you start acting like a pro, like everything will just kind of fall into place a lot easier for sure. And it's obviously everything's easier said than done. There's been so many times in, in, my, uh, in my pre-professional career that I was going to bed late, that I was eating like freaking shit, that I was, I don't know, hanging out with my girlfriend too much and not training. But mm-hmm. as long as you just... I mean, that's why your groin hurts, bro. No, I don't think that's why. <laughs> uh, but maybe. But, uh, yeah, you just, you, just have to, you just have to make this artificial environment um, as, much as, as much as possible, I think. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right, bro. We're going to head off. I don't want this to uh, cut off. Last for word sure. for the audience. Quote, whatever. Last oh, word. Oh, wow. I didn't prepare for that one. Do it quick, man. All right, I think I gave you this quote. It's a little cheesy, but I freaking love it. It's in order to be number one. I'm a little cheesy. In order to be number one, you have to train like you're number two every day. And I think that's uh, really relevant to me because most of my career, I've never been the number one goalie. Most likely, might not always be the number one goalie, but in order to be number one, you just have to practice like like you're you're the last string on the roster. I think that's the biggest thing. All right, brother. Appreciate All right, it. love you, brother. We'll talk of course. soon. Absolutely. Uh, but I appreciate you coming on, my man. Much of love course. to Thank you. Thank you for having me, bro. Much love. Stay safe and healthy soon. over there. Chaim. bro. Good recovery. Peace. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.
Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the 68th episode of the How to Become a Pro Footballer podcast. I really appreciate you. My guest, Noah Abrams, really appreciates you. We appreciate you giving us your time and your ears to take a listen to this, to listen to our conversation. I hope you gained as much value as I did out of this conversation. As I always talk about, I learn a lot from every single guest that I have No matter who they are, how old they are, where they're from, where they played, I learn a lot, really. I appreciate you a lot. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to Noah. I'll drop his Insta handle in the description here. And I'm sure he'll be glad to answer any of your questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you enjoy the podcast thus far and you haven't left a review... I would really, really, really appreciate it if you would go on to your Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and just drop a review for me. It really, really means a lot, helps the podcast grow, helps spread the word. As you guys and girls know, I'm trying to spread the positivity, the good vibes to every single person who's looking to reach their ultimate genetic potential. And by you leaving a review, you help me. I'm here to help you. Just give me that little bit and just help me a little. I appreciate it. Sorry for asking for so much. You have any questions, I'm always here to help. Drop me a message. Drop me an email. Email is probably the best place to reach me right now. Hard for me to answer all my DMs. So if you got an urgent question, drop me an email and I'll be glad to answer. Till the next episode, thank you so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay grateful, stay golden. Deuces.